Now, as I told you last week, I really want to spur you on in this gospel motivation. I want to spur you on in magnifying Christ. And so I have invited uh, the Tweetmeyer family uh, here th- this morning to interview them, to really encourage you. So I want to go ahead and invite up Carolyn and Kyle if you guys would just come on up here. And we're going to kind of get organized and situated. And um, for those of you who are sad that Oprah's off the air, I mean, we're going to bring her back right now, okay? <laughs> She's not going to be here, but I mean, I'm going to take her place right now, all right? This is going to be great. So if we want to get rid of this pulpit, if someone, anybody around here wants to come and grab this pulpit, anybody? All right, thank you. Now, Carolyn and Kyle Tweetmeyer are the parents of 14, seven biological, and seven adopted, and the founders of Project Hopeful. It's an organization you'll learn more about here in a little bit, about educating and encouraging and enabling families and individuals to advocate for children with HIV AIDS. And thanks for being here, like for real. I'm very excited that you're here. Okay. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of just, let's just start out. You have seven kids, biological kids, and what in the world? What's going on? You have seven, okay. No one in our church has seven kids, all right? So you have seven, and you're like, okay, I think we need to adopt. Do you want to kind of explain a little bit, Caroline? Like, what's, what are you thinking? Well, I think it started for me really early on. Probably I was maybe around seven or eight years old, and I would watch the... Um, the TV um, newscasts and things like that about the children in Ethiopia during the drought. And even at that point in time, even being so small, I could not wrap my mind around the fact that these children lived with absolutely nothing. And I would play in my head all of the extra things I had in my house, extra toys, extra beds. I would think about my, you know, Susie across the street, what they had. And it just simply did not make sense to me that children lived in that kind of situation and, and this was before I understood adoption or under, even understood Christ. It just didn't make any common sense to me. And uh, that kind of started to mold me back then, and my mindset still hasn't changed. <laughs> so you, you moved out initially to, to pursue adopting one, right? And then that kind of initially turned into th- three. Well, I had set out to adopt. Kyle wasn't quite there yet, which is quite common um, amongst adoptive families. And uh, it took quite some time of praying and begging and pleading and, and Kyle, you know, God having to deal with Kyle initially to accept the idea, our idea of adopting potentially one special needs girl from India. Okay. And then God was like, no, that's not my idea. <laughs> so um, in pursuing a home study, it's a very long story, but I'll make it short, a, a, a waiting child list was presented to me. And I had seen lists and lists of sibling, sibling groups, which was sad enough to me. And then I realized that one, one of each of these sibling groups had a child in it that was HIV positive. And back toward the end of, of 2006, that was never even heard of for the most part. So um, when my poor husband came home that day, after I had witnessed our three children and not from India, from Ethiopia, and really just felt a pull that these children would be separated if, if uh, somebody didn't move on their behalf. Um, my poor husband comes home, and I let him know that I found our three kids. One has a little HIV. You'll get over it. And, um, 
it kind of went from there. It didn't go very well, but I'll tell you what, um, I understood in my heart that this was the route that God wanted, and I just believed if, if it was true what I was hearing, that, that the Lord would convince Kyle of the same. So how'd that go, Kyle? My wife says, uh, honey, I found the picture of our kids. And I thought, well, surely she must have lost one of our children's pictures, and <laughs> she just refound it. And, uh, and I said, so what, what do you mean? And she told me that uh, there are three kids, and they're from Ethiopia, and one has HIV. And I'm standing there. I, I said, woman, I think you've lost your mind. <laughs> uh, once we... So my wife and I were sort of opposed at, at that point because um, I was leaning on my own understanding, and I I was thinking to myself, how you know I'm a I'm a painter, so in blue collar pay, how can I afford to raise now what would be ten children? Where would we put them? Blah 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 blah, and you know simply what I was doing is I was looking at these hands, and I was looking introspectively. But what I wasn't doing is I was, wasn't looking that I was the son of God. He calls me son. And when, once I started to um, really just dig into the word and see what, what does our father say about this, I realized that there are 64 verses that tell us to care for orphans and widows. So once, it took, once I got through that, <laughs> then it wasn't, uh, it wasn't too difficult to get back, get on board. So you, you decide, okay, we're going to do this, and... You go over there to adopt three children. Now, back, back then, 2006, that, that wasn't easy to adopt HIV, is that correct? Correct. There was a, a waiver process that could take anywhere from three to nine months after the child was adopted in country to even be able to bring them here, Okay. which was the, which was the beginning of Project Hopeful. I really felt on my heart that the Lord said, change immigration. And I thought, that's cool. God, because I don't even know who my mayor is. So <laughs> how, how does one go about that? And, and in the long series of events and miracles and God bringing us uh, an attorney from Washington, D.C., through means that don't even make any sense, they make God sense, um, he enabled us before our ch- children were even brought home, the first set of three, to change immigration and change that process from three to nine months to ten days and under and streamline it right at the top at USCIS. Her Bible study leader, the, the attorney that worked with us, her Bible study leader just so happened to be one of the heads of the Department of Homeland Security. Wow. So when he says he applies, when he uh, provides abundantly, that includes legal help. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So you go to Ethiopia and you adopt the three children. Can you who, tell us their names, the three that you adopted that time? Rachel, Samuel, and <laughs> Seth were our first three adoptions. Okay. Right. And so you're, you're over there, and you think, I'm over here to get three, and I'm going to bring them home, and wow, that's going to be a lot, that's going to be ten. So you're over there. What happens when you're there? Kind of explain that. Well, when I was there, I was visiting my son Samuel's orphanage, which is an HIV-positive orphanage. Typically, in many countries, they segregate children with HIV and, and without HIV. And um, that's it. <laughs> and... Um, he was playing, and I was sitting on the couch, and in walked a social work, two social workers and one little very, very devastated girl. And uh, in that moment, I had never, ever, ever in my life, and still to this day, have not seen the devastation that I witnessed in a child. And um, through further inquiring, I found out that 
She had just been relinquished by her older brother and sister who were trying to keep her and raise her on their own. Their, their parents had passed away, and uh, they had just found out that she had HIV. And um, in order to save her life, they had to make the decision to relinquish her to save her. And so what did that make you think when you saw her, like explain some of the, some of the events, what happened next? Well, I didn't think anything like that we would be her parents. I just felt such an urge to comfort her. And she didn't speak English, so all I could do was be this crazy white woman holding her hand and, you know, rubbing her arm and just, just, to, just to feel with her, just to let her know that she wasn't by herself in that moment. I was completely heartbroken. I, I couldn't imagine what was going through her um, at that point in time, but you could feel it. You could feel it in every, every fiber of her. This just utter devastation that no child should encounter. And then you come back to the States. You have to, you have to leave with your children, right, and right. come back. And then what happened then? I brought Kyle back, actually, to the orphanage. And it's funny because she was the only child we ever had a picture taken with together. And that was part of immigration as well at the time, that you needed to have a picture taken with a particular child in order to get a visa that enabled them to be U.S. citizens when they hit the ground. So oddly enough, he came and met her because it really, she had such impact on me. I had to go back to the guest house and explain to him what I had seen. So we went back home, and uh, I would inquire inquire about her periodically. We regularly prayed for particular children, put them on our desktop on the computer and prayed them into families. And we had begun to see a trend of children being set into families. We prayed, families came. And uh, we did this with her. And six months later, I find out that no one had ever inquired about her and that her health was rapidly declining. Um, and at that point, I went to Kyle and said, babe, guess what? Um, nobody's inquired about her name at the point in time was Jordanos. I said, nobody's even inquired about her, and she's getting very sick. And that time, he says, it's a no-brainer. We have to go back and get her. And I, at that time, I'm like, what? Wait, <laughs> wait a minute, what? So we set out then to adopt her as well. So explain kind of when you went back, what happened while you were with her in Ethiopia. Well, I went back. It was about seven months later. It was a year to the date that we landed the first time again. And uh, I had encountered a child then in stage four AIDS, um, was 11 years old and weighed 32 pounds. And uh, I was being told at that point that she would likely not even survive to get on an airplane. Um, her hemoglobin levels had dropped so low that it's not even, you can't bring someone on a plane. They won't survive a flight. Um, and it was strange because I could never even drive on an expressway or go to the grocery store for the most part on my own. And here I am. I went by myself this trip. I'm in Africa and Ethiopia all by myself, suddenly in a third world hospital. And I had such comfort and peace from God. I can't even explain it to this day. Sometimes I long for what I encountered there by myself. Just, it was just God, me, and Selah. And um, I don't know if you've ever been in a third world hospital, but I would not wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And we spent a good couple of weeks there with bugs and no soap and broken toilets, just a rough time. But again, they're telling me she won't survive to come home. And uh, I, I knew different. I knew in my heart that there was no way I was going home without her. But I also knew that regardless of the circumstances, that the Lord most importantly wanted her to know that she was not alone that he was with her and that she was loved and treasured and had a family and people that would go out of their way for her in active ways. And um, so I was, I, was okay with, I was okay with whatever happened, but they won't give blood bank blood 
that she needed a transfusion and they would not give their blood bank blood to a person in the end stage of AIDS. It just doesn't have, they don't have enough blood to meet the need. So I asked, well, what are we going to do then? You know, and they said, well, you know, jokingly, sort of tongue in cheek, they said, if you're a match, we can give her a transfusion. And sure enough, I went to the Red Cross. They have a, the equivalent of a Red Cross the following day, and my blood was a match for hers. And if you can imagine the reality of that and how the gospel plays out and, and how, how, the God, how God has shown us the gospel all the way to the end, and now he brings us to the blood and the redemption and the power and, and the blood. And, the, and I encountered this willingness to give my blood like, it's my kid. <laughs> you know, of course I'll give. They were even shocked that I would give my blood. And, and this whole time, the Lord is showing me his great, awesome, incredible love for me, which took me a long time to grasp in my life. But he's showing me then now through the blood and the willingness to give it and the, the redeeming power of it. She was then immediately brought up to par with one transfusion. They told us it would take a week. In one transfusion, we were able to get her where she needed to be, get her on a plane, get her to the University of Chicago. And within three months, she was in incredible shape and um, her viral load completely undetectable. Oh, praise God. Praise God. So you bring her back. Now you have 11, and um, what, 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 you, do you feel like you left something back in Ethiopia? What's going on? Indeed. While I was in Ethiopia, um, they were saying she w- would likely not survive, so we all found it important for her to meet with her brother and sister again, and, and then myself to meet with them. And I had been under the impression that they were living with family members, and while I was there, I found out they were still living on their own in a very small, probably about a 10-foot by 10-foot mud room inside of a compound. And I met them and absolutely loved them. I saw the dynamics between them. I recognized how it affected Selah to be separated from them, which is a tragedy and a common tragedy, especially where HIV is concerned, that these sibling groups, people want the healthy ones if they're the right age and the right this and that, and they don't want the children that they consider unhealthy with with HIV. It's a phenomenon that I've seen through the, the five years that I've been working in this area. Um, so I called Kyle from there. <laughs> Hello, babe. It's me. Um, they don't have, you know, adult supervision. What are we going to do about it? You know? So I kind of wasn't sure then, but I knew in my heart that there was no way we could leave these kids back there. And I went home and discussed it further with Kyle. And uh, we determined at that point, again, that these children should not be separated, that they deserve to be together. And, and we worked then to unite them, and two years later, after we landed, it always worked in exact increments, exactly two weeks after, or two years after we brought Sayla home, we landed to bring her brother and sister on Dargay and Sarah home. Wow, how, how, how was that? Reunion, is that amazing? That was absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, when these, when these kids left each other in Ethiopia, um, they were probably to never see each other again. And uh, to see that reunion was just absolutely breathtaking. That's something that you, you have to experience to, to have any idea what an impact that is. They, these families should not be separated. Yeah. So many gospel pictures throughout this whole thing, just a reunion, and uh, just amazing, amazing. Well, you know, I'm sure a lot of people here are probably wondering and thinking, um, as, as maybe my, my wife and I previously, we, we were with you at the University of Chicago Children's uh, Hospital uh, in a kind of a an informational meeting about HIV AIDS and because some people were wondering like you have kids and 
What's, what are some of the misconceptions about and some of the stigmas brought upon children with HIV and in your own home? I have to share first, too, when the idea of adopting a child with HIV was presented to me that I was like, how can I possibly endanger the rest of my children? And that is the biggest misconception ever. HIV has never, ever, ever, ever been transmitted in a normal family living situation, ever. It has never, ever been transmitted between children. You heard her say ever, right? Ever. <laughs> never, never, ever. It's ever. never happened. I have to stress that because people... Ever. <laughs> people come up with all these ideas and scenarios and things, and they just, it doesn't happen. The reality is it does not happen in a family living situation. You're not doing things in a family that transmit HIV. That's right. And if you are, that's you should, go to, you should go to jail. Yes, you should go to jail. Um, yeah, it's, it's not transmitted. We don't worry any more than anybody else. We, we, we live a normal life. We, um, we practice universal precautions, which everybody should, you know, no matter what your family living situation is. I, we, never, we never, it never crosses our mind that we're concerned about our children passing it. It doesn't happen with sippy cups or bathtubs or toilet seats. It doesn't happen. Well, can we show a video? You want to set the video up uh, that we're about to watch? I would love to. This video consists of several um, Project Hopeful families and children, and, there, and some of the HIV-positive children, giving you a four-minute uh, four teaching session of how HIV can be, be transmitted and the reality of HIV in the United States today. HIV is considered a chronic, a chronic but manageable disease. Levels of knowledge about the HIV virus have not increased in the U.S. since 1987. Since 1987. 1987. 1987. Dude, that's totally bogus. Today, many people still don't know the difference. People still don't know the difference. Still don't know the difference between HIV between HIV and AIDS. It's between HIV and AIDS, how you can contract the virus and how you cannot. How it cannot. You cannot acquire the HIV virus. I said not. HIV is 100% preventable. HIV is 100% preventable. Nobody has to get HIV. HIV is a virus which attacks the white blood cells and attacks the immune system. AIDS is a diagnosable condition that occurs when a person's immune system is weakened by the HIV virus. It can fight off infections. AIDS develops when the virus is left unchecked to attack the immune system. Amazing strides have been made have been made in the treatment of HIV. In the treatment of HIV with medications called ARVs. Medication can mean the difference between life and death. The HIV virus can be controlled with medications to the point where it's undetectable Undetectable in modern blood tests. And when this is done consistently, a person can live a long life. Kids being treated for HIV are expected to live a normal lifespan. HIV is transmitted in three main ways. There's three basic ways. Um, through unprotected sexual contact, through injection drug use or the sharing of needles, 
and mother-to-infant transmission during birth or breastfeeding. These are the only ways HIV can be transmitted. There has never been a case of HIV being transmitted in a normal family living situation. It cannot be transmitted by hugs. It cannot be transmitted by casual contact. Without education, people living with HIV will face stigma. At the playground. From neighbors. Anywhere. Sadly, some of the most vulnerable orphans in the world will be overlooked for adoption because of fear and ignorance of HIV and AIDS. These kids depend on people like you and me. We depend on you. We depend on you. To raise awareness and help end their suffering. Others are still suffering. Nine of the kids in this production are HIV positive. Two of them are diagnosed with AIDS. Can you pick them out? I don't think so. Help end stigma. Partner with Project Hopeful in the Truth Pandemic campaign. Truth. 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 It's contagious. Spread it. Dude, the 80s are over. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about, about Project Hopeful and how, how, how your ministry connects families with HIV children around the world? It's done by various means. Initially, it started out with us just advocating within the government, within the U.S. government, to enable families to alleviate stress, to help them to bring these kids home if they should so choose them. And in the last few years, it has, it has grown, and um, we actually have waiting child lists, and we advocate for particular children and then enable families to actually adopt them. Or we also have a program called FIGS where, where people can choose a child to advocate for and do things for and then hold the family's hand through the process of bringing these children home. And it's not just an Africa issue. We've worked with 15 different countries now. Um, a lot of our action is going on right now in, in Eastern Europe. So um, it's, not just, it's not just Africa, which is a common misconception. Um, mo more importantly, we teach people the facts about HIV. It, it doesn't only affect our orphans across the world, it is, it's very, uh, got a very direct domestic issue um, where there's so many people hiding in shame domestically with HIV as well. So we're trying to bridge all these gaps and bring it all together and, um, and more importantly to teach people to advocate for people with HIV because it just comes in a big full circle. The more the people know, the more these children are being adopted. From our um, University of Chicago workshop alone, and by the way, we have 18 other state associates and other medical uh, facilities working with, within our other states to educate people there as well. Um, we have 100% so far of families that have come to learn about HIV that are on the fence trying to decide whether or not they're going to adopt children with HIV, commit to HIV adoption after they understand and know the facts and the reality and the truth. So that's most important to us to get it out there. And, and just recently I have to share, in seven days, Literally, in one week, we were able to remove 10 children from our waiting child list that had gotten families. This is just this past week, so I'm so excited to share that. 10 children got families with HIV off our waiting list. Praise God. Praise God. And, and so, Kyle, you seem to start talking to the guys in here, like right now. Like, <laughs> you, you have been through this. You have legitimate fears. Talk about, tell these guys how you are not loaded. Like, you don't have, like, 
you know, kids are going to think, you have 13 kids, you, you must be loaded. Just explain to them and w- w- walk them through the process. You're not just talking about adoption right now. We're talking about HIV adoption, finances, everything. Go ahead and talk all about that. Um, when my wife first came to me with adoption, the idea of adoption, uh, I, I was, the perspective I had was that uh, I have very little means, and who am I to do this? How could I possibly do this? And like I was saying earlier, um, we we started out with four kids, and I thought we had a big family. And I'm going to tell you that today, money is is less of an object today than it was when we had four kids. And not because I make more money. I'm a blue-collar worker. You can find me on a construction site all over Chicago. Um, It's just the fact that uh, he calls us son, and he tells us to come to his throne boldly he and you know not only at his throne but he said he has sealed himself in us so who am i because this guy i'm just a, I, listen guys i am your typical knucklehead i've made every mistake there is okay and it's not that i am a perfect person by any means it's not that my family is perfect not even my lovely wife it's just simply that our father dwells in us the Holy Spirit, we are spirit-led, and um, it, there comes a point when you just have to have reckless abandon. There comes a point you have to say either, either this is a book of fairy tales or this is the Word of God. And if it is, in fact, the Word of God, then why aren't we moving? It's, it's scary, guys. It's, my wife and I just adopted again recently. On Easter, we brought home a kid. And this is scary stuff. It's scary every time. But I have to, you have to stop. And look, at your, and look yourself in the mirror. Look at your flesh. This is flesh. These hands will never be able to provide enough. What if, what if, what if, what if? What if I don't... What, what if I didn't have a Savior? What if He didn't provide for me? Those are the questions you need to ask. And the fact is that He did. He did, and we should, not, we, we should never be motivated by fear. He, he should be motivating us. It's love. All love. Strictly love. If we're not being motivated by, by love, then it's not of God. Amen. Appreciate it, Kyle. And you mentioned that. I, two weeks ago, I saw you being interviewed by Dennis Rainey on, on Family Life uh, up at this orphan conference. And I, I knew your story. I was tracking with you. But when they said that you just adopted again, I about fell off my chair. So you want to explain just a little bit? Explain yourself. Like, what happened? How did that happen? We're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Um, you know, we were so incredibly blessed. We had a little spurring you know, sometimes, I don't know about everybody, but you feel it when God's about to do something nutty. All kinds of things start, you know, indicating that. And we knew something was going on. But long story short, on Easter Sunday, we were delivered a beautiful nine-and-a-half-week baby, Sophia. And uh, she has Down syndrome. And we have never, ever been more blessed in our lives. Our socks are knocked off. We're a bunch of mush heads, baby talking around the house. All of the kids can't take their eyes off of this baby. She's an incredible blessing. And she came, I can't get into too many of her details, but um, she transcended major religious barriers, major reasons that she should not be with us. And she's just another indication of how serious the Lord is about adoption and about caring for orphans. It says in Psalm 68, 5, that he's a father to the fatherless, and defender of widows. And this is him in his holy habitation. This is God in his holy dwelling. This is where God lives. He lives in caring for these children and, and caring for people that are oppressed. And he definitely lives in that one because 
we can't take our eyes off her. And take, he lives in this action, and she is a miracle. I mean, she is an incredible miracle. All of our family just coming together. I think our son Hank said yesterday, what did he say about our families colliding? How did he say that? He said, sometimes I just think, like, how, are we, how did we all just come together and collide? And, oh, now you're my brother. <laughs> yeah. He's he goes, nine. It's just so cool. He's nine years old. They just collide. He does this whole thing with his hands. And it's the truth how God just blends families and, and, and makes you one from one side of the earth to the other or from your next-door neighbor to you. Orphans come in all shapes and sizes, ages, and obviously denominations, and we have to take it very seriously. And, and again, um, Sophia fell out of heaven, and we're now a family of 14, and uh, I, you know, now God's started a whole other, and a whole other thing of, of recognizing the issue of more developmental special needs and issues and children all over the world with these needs that are being completely ignored and living in circumstances that you would not even want to think about, let alone to live. And, and he has just lit more fire to move in our, in our whole organization to move forward and to, to save and rescue these children and to encourage and enable families to consider stepping out and forgetting about how things will affect you. You know, so often we're presented with an idea or a possibility from the Lord and we immediately think, how's that going to affect me? How's that going to affect my life? What am I not going to be able to do if I do this? And, and it comes to a point when you really know who you are in him and who he is in you, that those thoughts go right out the window. And it only becomes about these precious, precious, precious children that he adores and wants us to move as his hands and feet. And we are bent as an organization and as a family to do that and to enable other families to do it as well. So let's just, just for fun's sake, talk, talk quickly here at the end, more about practical things. I mean, you've got 16 people in your home. How like, many meals is that? Yeah. Actually, actually, we have 14 people in our Oh, 14. Family. That's right. Two of the boys are already gone. Two are gone. Okay. Um, so explain some logistics like meals and laundry and placements. And... Well, there are 42 meals a day. <laughs> when he says That's that, funny. my heart skips a beat. When we talk about laundry loads and number of socks and stuff, it freaks me out a little. <laughs> the truth is, is that we have, uh, you know, in that big of a family, we go from an infant all the way to 21, pretty evenly spaced. And uh, our kids are awesome. They, you know, they all, everybody pitches in. Um, they work really hard to, 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 you know, make this thing work. It's, and that's the way a family's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, none of us should be sitting by idly. You know, we, we're, we're in this thing together, and it's a great way for us to show each other our love and dedication to our family. That's great. Can, we, can, we, can you guys stand up? Can we see your family? You guys want to stand up so we can... Thank you. Thanks for coming. Well, I just want to, in, in closing, just if you can encourage those in our week. So my daughter this morning, she's 11. She's like, you know, she's reading the word about uh, caring for the orphans and uh, the, the sojourners and widows. And like, she's like, what? I'm just 11. Like, what can I do now? And we have, we have students in here, college students. You know, they're, they're, they, legally, I don't know, like they can do much of an adoption right now. And then we have uh, others that are maybe just that's not their calling, like, or they don't feel called it up. Like, what, what do you say? Like, how do we move out? What would you encourage them? I would say, our, within, 
speaking from Project Hopeful perspective, I would say the FIGS program is incredible because you don't actually have to adopt, but you can choose a child and pseudo-adopt that child and then witness the process. Um, we also have things geared more toward the younger kids. Um, they call themselves the Friends to the Fatherless. And they do everything from making duct tape purses and selling them to artwork and all kinds of things. There's so many ways to go about it. There's ways to also um, stand in the gap for, for families that are adopting these children to be there for them. It's no easy process. It's worth every minute of it, but it's no easy process. So making meals, doing a little respite type of things are excellent things that you could be doing. Another huge issue is the fundraising aspect. These adoptions, even with kids with HIV, Down syndrome, any of these issues, they're ranging in cost from 25000 to sometimes close to $50,000, depending where these children are coming from. And I can tell you from all these years of experience that the families adopting these children are not families that had that money in the bank. And I can tell you from us, we didn't have a penny when we started any of our adoptions. We believed God. He's, we said, it's your will, it's your bill. You better, you better, you better do something. And he did. He shows up every time. He shows up every time. And um, to alleviate that stress from families that are, are choosing to adopt these children is hugely, hugely important. Whether you're able to donate or um, fundraise in some way, shape, or form, it helps enormously. It blesses that family. It's, they, they're trusting God to do it, and you can be the hands and feet that just usher it in for the Lord himself. And it's just incredible. It's, it, you, you're just so blessed, believe me, to touch any part of it. And God blesses who touches it. I am, I, it's indisputable. You know, one, one more thing. Uh, we've all at some point taken a look at these massive tragedies and uh, these pandemics and things and say, you know, how is our God that's so loving letting these things happen? Well, if we look at the Word, it says that He has sealed Himself in us. Sealed. No man can remove. So what are we doing? That's the question. And, and it's, not from a, uh, it's not from a works perspective by any means. It's, it's simply that, uh, you know, who are we in Christ? And uh, what are we, how are we going to allow ourselves to just be hidden in His identity? How are we allowing ourselves just to be um, completely persuaded and motivated by the Holy Spirit? And, uh, and as you guys can see, these, these kids, man, they're awesome. I mean, kids are really our blessing. It's not easy, don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, it, there, there's nothing that's more fulfilling. It's wonderful. appreciate you guys coming, seriously. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for coming. And what we'll do here at the end, uh, they'll be in the lobby uh, to meet. You can meet them and greet them and encourage you to, to consider buying some of the T-shirts and jewelry that goes to promote and encourage their ministry as they get the word out uh, around the world to care for those with HIV and uh, orphans and to encourage others to adopt them as well. So can I pray for you guys at the end? Please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or I thank you for Carolyn and Kyle and, and their whole family the Tweet Myers and now you having have um, it's, it's not just talking about a good deeds here. This is this is gospel motivation. You have saved them, you have filled them with your spirit, and you, they have moved out in, your, in obedience to you. And I just ask you would continue to encourage them uh, through the hard days and even in the good days when they say, "Blessed be your name," regardless, and may they just be worshippers uh, of you. And may they encourage and spur others on. So protect them and pr make provision for them continually. And may they continue to be increased in their faith as they walk with you. So I praise you for bringing them here this morning to encourage us. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.